Good morning. morning. We are glad you're here today. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're very grateful for the opportunity to be together on the first day of the week. Good to see a lot of smiling faces. Hope and pray that summer's going well. And we're going to be remembering our young folks as they go to camp this week. Uh, They are headed to... Where are you headed? Loosedale. Okay, down by the coast. So need to remember them in our prayers. Hopefully everybody will have a great time, be a good week. We're going to be looking today at Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 in our study together. Before we begin, I do want to say that we are, I guess maybe around the halfway mark in the summer, maybe a little bit, we may be a little bit further along, but we're very grateful for those of you that have been here and continue to be supportive supportive of the work. I know that folks are coming and going, and we want to always encourage all who travel to be safe in your travels, and uh, don't forget the Lord. And so we're grateful for your presence today. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, you know as well as I that this has often been called the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And so in chapter 5, we have Jesus setting before disciples some of the characteristics that are to make up those who would become His followers or those who were His followers. So as we look at this chapter, really chapters 5 through 7, there are some bedrock principles upon which we ought to build our lives. And so we're going to be talking about that in our study today. And I want to begin by first and foremost, talking about the fact that we are to be the salt of the earth. And so that's going to be our study today, the salt of the earth, and the importance of being a salty saint to exercise our influence in the world about us. So as we begin our study, I want to just remind you today that we live in a world that has been darkened by sin. You remember John said in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world lies in darkness. Some translations say lies under the sway of the wicked one. Jesus was well aware of the efforts of the devil. He knew full well the ability and power that the devil welded in the lives of people in his day. You know, the Apostle Paul identified the devil as the God of this age. And Peter said that he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. So what Jesus is saying is that those of us who belong to the family of God, we have the power to offset the influence of the devil and his work here on planet Earth. So how do we do that? Number one he would say we are to be salt. Number two, we are to be light in the darkened world of sin. So let's just talk a little bit about some of the characteristics of salt. I would imagine that all of us are familiar with some of the traits associated with salt. And there is a correlation between some of the physical traits of salt, table salt, and those of us who belong to the family of God serving or functioning as salt on earth. 
Number one, salt has the ability to be used as a preservative. Some of you are probably well aware of the fact that meat is sometimes preserved using salt. Beef jerky, for example. Have you ever thought about the impact that you can have in a darkened world of sin through your influence by simply being the salt of the earth? Now you ask the question, well, how is it that I, one person, can be that influential? Well, you remember back in the book of Genesis in chapter 18, God was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he asked the question, shall I hide from Abraham that which I'm about to do? Since he will become a great and mighty nation. And in him shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, God there had determined to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their corruption, their vileness. And yet, the text tells us that Abraham began to barter with God. And you remember Abraham pleaded on behalf of the people that lived in those cities and said, God, if you can find 50 righteous people, would you be willing to spare the cities? And God's answer, yes. Well, what about 45 people? Again, the answer, yes. 30, 20, 10. God said, look, if you can find 10 righteous people in these cities, then I will, I'll back off and won't destroy the cities of the plain. Well, the Bible tells us that that was not possible. They couldn't find 10 righteous people. So you think about as a child of God, using your life as an influence for good. Have you ever paused to think that possibly because of your life and because of the fact that you are a child of God trying to exercise your influence for good in this world, in this nation, that God has looked favorably upon the nation in which we live because of you? Didn't Solomon write in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalts a nation? Sin is a reproach unto any people. Think about Jonah. When God instructed Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and cry against it, he said, Their wickedness has come up before me. Initially, Jonah was reluctant. Matter of fact, ran from God. And then in chapter 2, we find that Jonah had the opportunity to spend some time in the belly of a fish and maybe reshape his thinking a little bit. And that did the job. And so in chapter 3, again, God comes before Jonah. And God said to Jonah, I want you to go and to preach the preaching that I bid you. Forty days... Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Now, Nineveh, the Assyrian people were vile. They were corrupt. They were a heartless nation of people. Jonah, according to chapter 4, knew something about the kindness and grace of Almighty God. And yet in chapter 3, the Bible tells us that from the greatest to the least, they all put on sackcloth. They changed their way. They amended their ways, didn't they? They repented. The Bible says when God saw their work, that they had turned from their evil way, what did He do? He backed off. Now, a hundred years later, Nineveh was destroyed. 
But the point is, through the preaching and teaching of one man, a city was spared. Sometimes maybe we underestimate the power of our own individual influence. Maybe you don't recognize how important a role you are playing in this life, in this nation. Do you remember back in the book of Esther in chapter 4 when an edict had gone forth to destroy the Jewish people? Mordecai pleaded with Queen Esther to intercede on behalf of her people. And Mordecai said to her in the long ago, Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You have the opportunity to make a difference in this nation, in this world. And to those of you that are making a difference, I want to commend you. I thank God for you because your life is a testimony to the world in which we live. There is a second thought associated with salt. First, it can be used as a preservative, but secondly, it has the ability to permeate. Now, I don't use a lot of salt. I, I never pick up a salt shaker. I really don't like a lot of salt. Some people love it. And they have a little food with their salt. But salt has the ability to permeate a dish, doesn't it? If I eat something that has a lot of salt, I know it right off the bat, and so do you. You ever thought about how in the first century, God's people had the opportunity to permeate the Roman world? I mean, go back and look at Acts chapter 2. The church began on Pentecost Day. Where? The city of Jerusalem. And you remember Isaiah had said back in chapter 2 that all nations would flow into it. And so you have the origination, the birth of the church, and then the rapid growth of the church. And that's well documented. In chapter, well, in chapter 2, verse 47, the Bible says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In chapter 4, in about verse 4, the number of men came to about 5,000. So you see the rapid growth of the church in the first century. Over in chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible says that the Word of God spread and the number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. A great company of the priests became obedient to the faith. Chapter 5, verse 14, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. You get the idea there. The church is growing, is abounding in work. And then you come to chapter 8. Saul has been put to death, or rather, Stephen's been put to death at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. Saul's doing everything within his power to destroy the church of Christ. He has a vendetta against those who are followers of the way. So the Bible tells us in chapter 8, verse 1, that a persecution arose in the city of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And the Bible says down in verse 4 that those who were scattered abroad, listen to what Luke said, they went everywhere preaching the Word. In verse 5, the Bible says that Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to those people. Verse 12 would tell us that when they 
heard Philip preaching the kingdom of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they were baptized both men and women. Look at how the church was growing and abounding. How'd that happen? Because you had individual saints using their influence for good to advance the cause of Christ. They were preaching, teaching, they were sharing Christ, and the church was growing and abounding. Now you think about how the church today has the opportunity to permeate the fabric of society. We look around and we see the things that are going on in our nation, the erosion of moral values. How can we rectify some of the wrongs that are going on in our nation today? Well, the way is to go back to the book. To use our influence for good. Think about the Apostle Paul. You remember when the Apostle Paul went to the city of Corinth? The Corinthian people, they were base, vile, unprincipled. Matter of fact, they were just downright immoral, idolatrous. Luke said in Acts chapter 18 that Paul spent 18 months in that city preaching and teaching the Word of God. And the Bible says many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. So you go back and you read the book of 1 Corinthians. And you see what the people came out of in that day and time. Corinth would mirror many of our cities in this nation today. And I don't think things really change that drastically from generation to generation. The basic fundamental principles of sin does not change. Now God, or rather Satan may repackage things. But the bottom line is sin is sin. Sin destroys cities and nations, kingdoms. What was it again? Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. I want you to think about that. Let's just add another characteristic of salt. Salt has the ability to purify, to cleanse. Sometimes people have used salt as an antiseptic. So again, go back and look at Corinth. The name Corinth was a synonym for immorality. And yet through the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ, what happened to many of those people in that city? Do you remember? Didn't Paul say, Know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, revilers, drunkards, extortioners. In verse 11, though, he said, And such were some of you. Did you know that through your influence that the lives of people can be changed for the better? Look at some, look at some of the people that you have known in the past that you look up to that have become heroes of the faith to you. I have known personally people as well as you that have made such a difference in the world. But listen, not just to the world. I've known people that have made a difference in my life. Just as you know people that have made a difference in your life. As a mom or a dad. The influence that you weld in the home 
when your children become obedient to the faith, when they become people of faith, does that not say something about the power of God's Word and the power of influence? Do you remember Timothy's grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice? Paul commended them because of the genuine faith that dwelt in them. But he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. So when did Timothy begin to learn something about God? When was his, when was his mind fashioned or shaped in terms of spiritual things? Well, in verse 15, chapter 3, Paul said, And that from a baby you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. As a parent, you have the opportunity to begin molding and shaping the minds of your children. And you can bend them, if you please, toward God. And those of you that are here all the time as parents and the influence that you exert in your home, I want you to know it's a great blessing. And you're changing the landscape of the world in which we live. So you have a lot of power as you live here on planet Earth. Now there's a fourth thing I want to share with you. Salt has the ability to make things more palatable. We would say salt has the ability to make things taste better. At least there are a lot of people who think that. They use a lot of salt. Well, you remember what David said back in Psalm 34? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You as a child of God, you have tasted of the goodness and graciousness of God, haven't you? When Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby. And then he went on to say in verse 3, going back to Psalm 34, If you have tasted that the Lord is good, you know something about the goodness of God, don't you? You know something about the love of God and the mercy of God, His rich mercy, His great love. As Paul said, wherewith He loved us. You know all about that. And because you have tasted the riches of God's blessings, is it not possible that you might create in the lives of others a thirst, a hunger, a desire to know something about God? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The promise being they shall be filled. I would imagine that there are people that observe your behavior on the job, the neighborhood, the grocery, the various things that you participate in, the community. They see how you conduct your life. They see how, how you go about your business. They understand, they recognize there's something different about you. And how often people have said, I don't know what you have, but what you have I want. Have people been led to Christ because they have observed that consistent behavior day after day after day? Do you remember in 1 Peter chapter 3? Peter talks about here's a believing wife living with an unbelieving husband. 
And Peter said that they, without the word, might be won by the behavior of the wife. I told a story not long ago in a class. There was a lady on one occasion that was on her way to worship one Sunday morning. I think it was Sunday morning. When she got to the front door, her husband met her. He pulled a gun and pointed it in her face and then pulled the trigger back. And he said, I want to know what are you going to do now? And here's what she said. If you pull the trigger, I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven. If you don't, I'm going to church. Now you just imagine what that said to her husband. This lady's willing to die for her faith. She loves God that much. You know, sometimes family members can make life very difficult on us. But Peter said, they behold your chaste behavior coupled with fear. They see how you care, they see how you carry yourself, your demeanor, how you deal with problems, how you deal with life. There have been a lot of people that have been converted to Christ because their mate modeled Christianity. And didn't Paul say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus? Peter said that Jesus left us an example that we should follow in His steps. There's some of you here today, your mate is a Christian because of your influence had nothing to do with a preacher, a teacher, an elder, a deacon. It had to do with you. That's power. Now, there's a second thought I want to share with you in our study. First, the characteristics. Secondly, the caution. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But, he said, if the salt has lost its saltiness. What are some reasons why as God's people, we lose our saltiness. How is it we lose our edge? I think, number one, there is the danger of losing our distinctiveness. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does salt, does salt have a distinctive taste to it? If you order a dish at a restaurant and they put a lot of salt in your food, do you know it? Sure you do. Is it possible that as children of God, we could lose our distinctiveness, forget who we are and whose we are? Didn't, didn't, the, Bible, didn't the Bible say in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession whom He has called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. Listen, you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. You have been reconciled in the body of Christ. The danger is that we flirt with the world. The world encroaches upon our life and we lose our distinctiveness. How so? Our speech, conduct, our dress, how we carry ourselves. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. You've got to understand, you are distinctive 
in the eyes of God. You have been set apart, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so because of that, you're to live a distinctive life. Now, not for show. Matter of fact, over in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about those who were concerned about putting on a dog and pony show before those around them. They wanted people to look at their lives and say, boy, aren't they righteous. That's not, what we're, that's not what we're talking about. But rather what we are talking about is that because of who we are and whose we are, we carry ourselves in a distinctive way. Going back to this idea of people saying, you know what, there's something different about you. I've noticed you don't use profanity. You don't tell dirty jokes. You don't dress provocatively. You don't act like the world. You don't go out and drink cocktails with everybody else in the office. Why? Because you're a child of God. It's not who you are. So there's the danger of losing our distinctiveness. Secondly, there is the danger of losing our devotion. One of the greatest allies the Bible has is a closed Bible. The less time you spend in this book, the less time you spend in worship to God, there's a real danger that you will lose your sense of devotion to the very one who has redeemed you from all sin. Would you listen to Jesus over in Matthew chapter 6? In verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Could you be somewhere else, somewhere else this morning? Sure you could. Tonight at 6 p.m. Could you choose to stay home? To go visit family? Could you choose to do something else? You sure could. It might be you've already made the choice to do something else tonight. But for a lot of folks, that decision was made a long time ago. It's not something that we have to just continue to ask ourselves, well, what are we going to do tonight? No, this is where we're going to be. Why? Because we are devoted to God. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, If you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your affection on things above, not on things which are on this earth. So, reasons why People lose their saltiness. Well, there's the danger of losing our distinctiveness, the danger of losing our devotion. So what then are the results? Okay, let's just say that we're a child of God. We belong to Christ. We're trying to live the Christian life day in and day out. And we become so influenced by the world that as Jesus said, we lose our edge. We lose our saltiness. Here's what Jesus said. If the salt loses its flavor, are you talking about some of the hard sayings of Jesus? That's hard. He said, it is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and trampled underfoot by men. Listen again. It is therefore good for for nothing. How would you appraise your life in Christ? Your influence? Your devotion? 
your service to God? If the Lord were to sit down with you, and let's just say that you're sitting across the table from the Lord, and rather than Him saying, okay, this is where you are, He asks you, tell me, where are you in the grand scheme of things? Have you been an asset to the cause of Christ? Are you an asset to the church that meets in this location? That's either yes or no, isn't it? I mean, there's no in-betweens. Either you are or you aren't. If somebody said about you or somebody that you know, if they simply said, you know what, he's not good for anything. Or if they said to you about some lady or some young person, She's good for nothing. You get it, don't you? So here's Jesus saying, look, you're the salt of the earth. But if you lose your saltiness, he said, you are good for nothing. Let me tell you what, you talk about getting hit below the belt, that's a hit below the belt. So I ask you today, are you good for the kingdom of God? Or are you not good when it comes to being a part of the kingdom of God? To use Jesus' terminology, are you good for nothing? I hope not. You know, we meet here every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for Bible study. That never changes. We meet here every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for worship. Again, that doesn't change. We're back again at 6 p.m. We'll be here Tuesday morning, Lord willing, at 10 a.m. for Bible study. We'll be back again Wednesday night at 7 p.m. That never changes. If somebody put the keys in your hand to this building and said the work rests on your shoulders and your shoulders alone starting today, how long would the church exist in this location. Would you keep the faith and continue on, keeping on? Or is it possible that over a short period of time the building would be boarded up and sold? You know the answer to that. I know that there are some folks I can depend on. There are some folks I know whatever you ask them, they're going to do it. That's just how they, that, that's just how they operate. There are some folks I would be reluctant to hand the keys to them because I don't know what's going to happen. They're not reliable. They're not dependable. As Jesus said, good for nothing. That's harsh. And that's hard. But that's what Jesus said. Now I know that you're here today and that's not the case with your life. I know that you want to be a difference maker in this community and in this world. And my prayer is that one day when you stand before God, He'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. So, if you're here today and your life doesn't measure up to the cause of Christ, and you're one of His children, could I encourage you to make a change in your life? You know, 
Changes happen and not always are they visible. There are times when people determine in the pew, you know what, I'm going to do better. I've got to somehow get my life reoriented, get things back on track. You may be here today and that's what you're thinking right now. And so, God bless you. Might be that you want the prayers of the church. You need God to help you, to strengthen you, to support you. You need the members of this church to help get you back on track. And listen, we'd be happy to do that. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. What if you're here and you're not a Christian? You haven't become a disciple of Jesus. Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. So what does the Bible say? Well, you've got to believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Son of God. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, that was abundantly clear to many of those people on that occasion that heard Him preaching and teaching. They were astonished at His doctrine. Why? Because He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. They saw something different in Him. Do you believe He's the Son of God? Would you willingly repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be buried with Christ in baptism, rising to walk in newness of life? If you need to do that this hour, you need to be baptized so that you might be saved. Mark 16, 16. We encourage you to come as we stand and sing.